Well, Moody Church, good morning. It is good to see you this morning and can now begin a new series with you here starting in the new year. So first sermon, if you will, of the new decade. And we're going to talk today about the story of salvation, the gospel, how it is both personal and cosmic. And cosmic is a word that's used in the Bible, actually, kind of speaks to the ordered nature of the universe as things are supposed to be. And and the fall impacts as well. And over the next five weeks, I'll do an introductory message. And over the next four weeks, our, our amazing staff will gather and talk about creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. So over these five weeks, our hope to you is that we'll give a big picture of the story of salvation. Let me tell you, the story of salvation is the true story of the whole world, personal enough to change you and big enough to change everything. Now, it's interesting, as you may know through history, certain people would say that this verse or that verse is the gospel in miniature. Or maybe this is the place where the gospel would come alive to this person or to that person. For example, we can think of Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. And here we actually find Luther, who speaks in verse 17, speaks aloud and to him. It says this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then in verse 17, that verse which changed his life, for in the righteousness of God is revealed faith for faith, as is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Luther knew he was not living by faith. It changes everything. Luther also said, actually, the Martin Luther said that the gospel in miniature could be expressed in John 3.16. Matter of fact, Billy Graham would echo that as well. And John 3.16 would say, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. One day, maybe you'll make your way to Wheaton College, to the Billy Graham Center Museum there, where I have the privilege of serving. And I'll take you through the museum. And there's a section that is about Billy Graham's life. You would expect that. What you might not expect is Mr. Graham said, I don't want it to be about me. So he insisted that there would be a history of American evangelism. There'd be things after, before, and around. Uh, it wouldn't just be a Billy Graham museum, and it's not. But if you go through the museum and you pay close attention, you'll find one verse that's repeated two times. Right before you go into the Billy Graham section, there's a cross that you kind of walk your way around, and there's this passage. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And then you walk through the Billy Graham section, and you learn about where he grew up and his ministry, and, that, and it goes through the whole history. And then you come out of the Billy Graham section, and you go to a cross. And at that cross it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So both at the beginning and the end of that, because in a sense it is the gospel in miniature, we find John 3.16. For me, my favorite place for the gospel in miniature, though, is actually in Ephesians chapter 1. And that's going to be some of the text we're going to use today. And if you have your Bible, let me encourage you to take it out. If you don't have one, you'll be able to find one under the seats there. You can turn to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 23. It's actually a run-on sentence. It's the longest run-on sentence in the Bible. It carries a lot of information and content in here. And for the sake of time, I'm going to excerpt parts of this, and I'll use an ellipsis where I've taken out some of the words or the phrases. Didn't take them out for anything other than so that we might be able to move through this theme in the time that we have. But when you see the ellipsis, you'll know that that took out some part, and you can look to see what a little bit later on. Because I want you to see that the gospel has both a personal dimension, it relates to you and to me. 
So Ed Stetzer needs to do and respond and needs to know and needs to be certain that God had and has a plan for him. So that's important for us to recognize that it's for you as well. For Juan, it's for you. For Roberto, it's for you. For Alma, it's for you. For Joyce, it's for you. And so the gospel has a personal dimension that all of us have to come to know. But the gospel also has a cosmic or a world-changing dimension as well. And we're going to look at that in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 23. So I'm just going to read it in its entirety first and then come back and look at some of the excerpts. It says this. It won't be on the screen quite yet. We'll leave that off for tonight now because that's the excerpted part. But let me just read it. Will you just listen with your heart for just one second? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things to the counsel of his will, so that we so that we who were the first hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Now I'll stop there because I want you to see the richness and the depth of this passage, which I could continue to read on to 23, but I want to walk through with you this long sentence that explains the gospel in both its personal and its cosmic dimensions, right? So let's start by again looking at some excerpted parts of chapter 1, verses 3 through 7, and look at the personal dimension. It says this, "'Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ.'" He chose us in him. How personal is this, right? God chose us. In love, he predestined us. He adopted us, us for the adoption to himself. In him, we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And we hear that, and I heard one kind of muted amen so you must have missed the passage that I just read to you. Because if I had just heard that passage read, my response would have been, let me just do it with you. Amen. That's, that's not bad. Let's try it again. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Amen. Yeah. Because this therein contains the good news of a personal gospel that has changed me, has changed many of you. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus today, the personal dimension of that gospel can become real in your life. Jesus died for you on a cross and in your place. He is the substitution for your sin. He took the penalty, the rightful judgment for your sin on himself in 
the cross and the personal dimension of salvation, the personal dimension of the gospel is what gives me freedom and confidence and grace and security and peace. And that personal dimension of the gospel changes everything in me. And, and probably, and probably everything in you. See, and you would know, you would say, that's enough, God. If you were just saving some people out of the midst of a broken and lost and often sinful world, Lord, you'd be, you'd be just how righteous and holy and merciful you would be if you just did that. And he does. But then we find out there's actually more to it. He's got a plan ultimately for the whole world. Now, don't miss this, right? He's got this personal dimension of the gospel, but then there's this cosmic dimension of the gospel. Let's look at it beginning at verse 9. It's in the cosmic dimension. It says this, making known to us the mystery of his will. What is this mystery? What, what more is there? He saved me, but now according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the, the fullness of time. Well, I'm not all of the fullness of time. So there's something more to unite all things in him. You mean things in heaven and things on the earth? All of those things? Yes. See, the gospel has personal dimension and the gospel has cosmic dimension. Going on, it continues in verse 11 of chapter 1. In him we have obtained an inheritance. That's you, that's me. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Thank God that in Christ I've been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The personal dimension of the gospel has changed me and so many of you because we've literally been sealed. But, but wait, is God just about saving us and just forget the world? Just forget his creation? Well, I mean, we could believe that, but we'd have to basically remove the first few chapters of Genesis and the, the last few chapters of Revelation and say, okay, just the stuff in the middle, right? Once the fall's here, then we know the sin, and once Jesus saves us, then we know the redemption. But that stuff at the beginning, that stuff at the end, we're just basically chopping off the last few chapters and the first few chapters of the Bible. Because something's going on. There's a personal dimension, but again, there's a cosmic dimension again in verse 18. It says this, that you may have the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Listen, I'm new in Christ. The eyes of my hearts have been enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which has called you. I've been called personally to this, but what is it? And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. You see, Jesus has saved us as individuals and personally. And if there were just one of us, God would love us at that measure and in that way. Now, that's true, but the beauty of the promises, he saves us individually, and there will come a time with certainty when he will come back, he will judge the living and the dead, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and King, and ultimately all things we put under his feet, he will be head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of all who fills all in all. And I thank God for the personal dimension of the gospel, but I rejoice too at the cosmic dimension of the gospel. Amen. See, knowing the two helps us to see that our Christian life is just not about, you know, me and Jesus. 
me and Jesus kind of met and we got along and he's just all right with me and now I know him and he saved me. Well, great, but God's ultimately going to going to fix all things, make all things right. Now, what's interesting is if we were just walking through Ephesians, we could walk through this because the the beginning of chapter 2 beautifully talks about the individual personal, by grace you have been saved, uh, through through, through grace you've been saved. You know, it's it's not of your own, by grace you've been saved, through faith, not of your own doing, it's a gift of God. And then in the second part of verse 2, it talks about all of the world again, right? Verse 21, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple. So there's a personal and there's a cosmic dimension to the gospel that is worthy of our attention. You'll see it when sometimes people define or describe the gospel. Uh, Tim Keller is a well-known writer and teacher, and Tim described the gospel this way once. He said, Through the person and work of Jesus Christ, God fully fully accomplishes salvation for us, praise God, rescuing us from judgment for sin and to fellowship with Him. Now the challenge is, if we just understand the gospel as that personal reality, Jesus and me, it is that, but if we just understand it as that, we miss much of what Ephesians says and some of what Dr. Keller adds, and then restores the creation which we can enjoy our new life together with him forever. So I thank God I'm saved and rescued, and I thank God he's going to fix everything so that one day forever around his throne in perfection and holiness and righteousness in a sinless reality forever because Jesus wins, I can worship and give him praise and glory and honor, and at that time all the bad stuff of the broken world is fixed because the gospel has done its full work. And I, I look for that like you look for that. See, the story of salvation is the true story of the whole world, personal enough to change you and big enough to change everything. So let's look at some other passages that might help us to understand this. And remember, this is what we'll be looking at uh, the next four weeks. Now, we're going to be looking at it in this order. Creation is next week, fall, week after, uh, redemption, the week after, and finally, restoration after that. Those are the next four weeks. So you can kind of feel for the staff member who got whatever topic that he got. So Bill got the fall because we just kind of made sense with his personality that we'd <laughs> give him the fall. So, um, and so, so, but the rest are, you know, happier people. And um, so, but those four things, right? See, there's hard to understand the good news if you don't understand the reality of the fall. But boy, what if you only had a reality of the fall? You didn't understand the good news. And you didn't understand that ultimately he's going to make all things new. Think of words in the Bible, the rewords in the Bible. Renew, reconcile, restore. We can go on and on and on because we see God is making all things new. He starts with making us new because he, ro- he raised Jesus from the dead who now indwells our hearts and we are what the Bible calls born again. Having been born again, we're made new. Well, eventually all of the cosmos will be made new, will be ordered rightly. So let's talk about the gospel, both uh, personal and cosmic, right? The gospel, both personal and cosmic, because the story of salvation is the true story of the whole world. I think, I think you can even sense it in your heart when I talk about it. It's a true story of the whole world, personal enough to change you, big enough to change everything. Let's look at number one on our outline. The gospel has personal dimensions. 
Now we see that over and over again. Think of the beauty of 1 Corinthians when Paul is writing about the gospel. Him, uh, he's writing it himself about the importance and the focus of the gospel. Here's what he says. He says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. goes on, for I delivered to you as of first importance, right? This is the most important truth in the whole world, sisters and brothers. It's the most important truth in the whole world. I delivered to you as first importance what I received, that Christ died for sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. goes on, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and it goes on with details of who he met and who he told and who he communicated with, but I want you not to miss this. I passed on to you that which is of first importance. So I don't know what, you know, yesterday on Twitter, World War III was trending. Now, I didn't know any news, so I just was on Twitter, and it said World War III is trending, and I thought I should know if World War III had begun. Turns out it didn't. Sometimes things just trend on Twitter. But I want you to know that if right now you were here, and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, but a friend brought you, and if then Bill walked up and said, I need, you need to tell the people that World War III has begun, that missiles are literally in the air, and that Chicago was doomed, the most important thing in the world I would do at that time is to say to you, if any of you are here and you do not know Christ, let's trust him right now because that news is far more important than any other news because that news saves you forever. So that news, Paul says, is of, Paul the Apostle says, is of first importance. Okay, in Luke chapter 24, verse 46 through 48, Jesus is now speaking, and it says, Jesus said to them, thus it is written, the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. So let me say to you, if you're joining us online, if you're watching this at another time, if you're here gathered in our worship center at the Moody Church, if you are here, maybe you came to start a new year and you want to turn over a new leaf for that new year. First, I'm so glad you're here, but I want to say to you, don't turn over a new leaf. Jesus has something better. He wants to give you a new life. So you might be changed by the power of the gospel. You might repent of your sin. You might believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you might be saved. Now, if you have not trusted him, I want to invite you to trust him today. Because you never know. You never know. It was just a little over a, month, a year ago where people in Hawaii had an alarm come on all their phones saying this is not a drill, missiles are inbound. Remember that news? And some of them hid in manhole covers or rent to run to be with their family. We don't know. 
We don't know if what is an escalation in the Middle East is going to lead to an escalation that impacts the whole world. Here's what those of us who have been changed by Jesus know. It's not because we're better. It's not because we're smarter. It's not because we were more godly. But we were sinners in need of a Savior, and we called out to Jesus, and he personally and lovingly came into our lives, changed our lives. We repented of our sin, and we were born again. So sisters and brothers, if that's where you are and you're not sure, I don't want you to leave today without guaranteeing, being that seal of the Holy Spirit, that you indeed have trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior. But the bigger picture, too, I want to remind you, too, that God saves you, but he's also at work ultimately cosmically as well. Remember, the story of salvation is the true story of the whole world, personal enough to change you and big enough to change everything. You see, in him, we have the redemption through his blood. It says in Ephesians, the forgiveness of trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Right? We have that. And it's in making known to us the mystery of his will, it says in verse 9, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. And then it comes to verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time. Number two, the gospel has cosmic dimensions. Number two, the gospel has cosmic dimensions. It has personal dimensions, but it has cosmic dimensions. Let's look at them. Verse 10 of Ephesians 1, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. Don't miss that. It's not, it's not even just all people. It's everything. I mean, the world is broken, and that brokenness has impacted everything. You wonder why things don't work? You wonder why things break down? It's not just because it's where we live or the government that we vote for or have elected. It's not for all of those things. It's ultimately the whole deal's broken. The world is broken. Now, if the world's broken, what is Jesus doing? Well, he's redeeming people right now. That's the personal dimension of salvation and the gospel, but he's going to, Colossians 1.20 says this, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, say those two words with me, all things, say it again, all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. So every single thing will be made right. Now, I don't think that fully happens until Jesus comes back. And how Jesus comes back, Christians have talked about and maybe struggled with how to describe and define. And sometimes people who love the Lord and really love the Bible have some different conclusions. I sometimes used to say, I'm kind of pan-millennial. I think it'll all pan out in Jesus' time. But I actually hold what's a view called premillennialism, which is what we at Moody Church hold and teach as well. And it's, it's clearly the, it's the idea that Jesus is coming back. We don't know when. Could be right now. He's coming back. He's going to judge the world. And for a thousand years, he's going to reign here physically on a restored earth. Now, I don't know what a restored earth will look like, but I'm pretty sure it won't involve construction on highways. <laughs> right? You know our seasons here in Chicagoland. We have two seasons. We have summer and, excuse me, winter and road construction. Those are our two seasons here. I'm pretty sure that's not in a new heaven and a new earth. I'm pretty sure there are no traffic jams in new heaven and new earth. I mean, you joke about that, but let me tell you about some stuff that I'm really sure is not part of a new heaven and a new earth. People dying when they're kids of cancer. I know I've mentioned my own sister in that journey. 
people dying at a young age or at any age, or, or people at where crime, where people are injured, or war, where there's injustice around the world, because when Jesus comes back and the fullness of the gospel is made manifest across the earth, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God and King. So this is the personal and the cosmic dimension of the gospel. Now here's the thing. Um, if the gospel is just about your salvation, you don't need Genesis or Revelation. Maybe you just need the law and you need Romans. But the story of the gospel is world-changing, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. So many of you know I'm a professor in my, in my uh, rest of my life. And as a professor, I actually teach this and I use a graphic uh, to teach this. Let me, let me show you this, uh, this graphic that hopefully will help you. Some of you like a, a sermon with pictures. So this sermon actually has pictures. For some of you, you won't like that. If you don't like the sermon with pictures, you should for sure share it with me. My name is Bill Birchie, and you can reach out to me <laughs> by email or just call my cell. Uh, they'll give it to you at the church office. Um, so let me see if I can explain this kind of um, with a graphic. Now, all graphics are imperfect, and all graphics break down, but, but here's what I want you to see that's going on around us, right? Long before you were around, there, this is the cosmic description of the gospel, and stay with me. It's creation it's fall, it's redemption, and it's restoration. So this is the timeline of history, right? So we live between, right? We live between redemption and restoration, right? The fall's already come, creation exists. So creation, fall, and we, each of the next four weeks, these are the topics of the next four weeks. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Four weeks, you're going to walk through this together. Created good, right, holy, and perfect. Sin comes in, Mars and breaks everything. That's the fall. Jesus comes, redeems, begins his redemption project by saving people and creating a people who worship and follow him. And then one day, he's coming back to set all things right. But that's the cosmic description. You can't forget the personal description of the gospel, right? So there's the true God of the whole world. Then there's you, man, men and women. Then there's Christ's work on the cross, and then there's our response. So this has to be the business we do with God, trusting Jesus as Savior and Lord. And then I become part of his new creation between redemption and restoration. And I don't know where we are on this. I tend to think we're kind of getting close to this time when he comes back, but Christians have thought that at different times. All I know is I live between redemption and restoration. The world's still broken, but God's making things new. So we see this picture, and we're like, well, what, what, how does this work? How should we think in terms of what the gospel is teaching us? Well, don't miss this, right? Because the empty cross and tomb, right here in the middle, the empty cross and tomb are central to both cosmic, right, it's going to restore the whole world, and personal redemption and restoration. Even when I talked about putting all things under him, it was through the cross. So through the cross, Jesus saves me, and through the cross, he's going to ultimately and eventually redeem and save all things. Now, there's a judgment. Don't hear that and say, well, I'll just wait to the end, and then it's all fine, and, you know, love wins. Yeah, love wins because God's still holy, and he judges sin. And so I want you not to miss this, right? So if the cross has not become real in your life, you have not walked in this redemption and you have not yet come to the place where you indeed have been saved. So you're basically saying to God, God, I know you had a plan, I know you had a way. I know that plan eventually restores the whole universe, but I've chosen to opt out of that plan. Go ahead and judge me for my sin. That's a, a wrath of God that I don't want any person to faith. 
face. That's a, that's a wrath of God, a separation from God for eternity in a place called hell. When God's got a better plan, a right plan, the plan ultimately sets all things right. So here's where we are today. We live between redemption and restoration. We live between redemption and restoration. Now, uh, Don Carson helps me with some of the language here, but coming out of the foundation of redemption in Christ, there are some implications of the gospel. There are some implications of the gospel right here. Click one more time. There are some implications of the gospel. Proclamation and demonstration are implications of the gospel. The gospel is real, so we should proclaim it. The gospel is real, so we should demonstrate the love of God, and we do. I mean, we hear things every week about Naomi's house or by the hand club or 139. And why? Because we're demonstrating the good news of the gospel because flowing from the gospel, this redemption, this work of Christ on the cross and the resurrection is that foundation of our salvation and ultimately the whole world. And then there are implications that flow from, flow out of the gospel. And then there are some applications of that as well. Things like evangelism and discipleship and mercy ministries and church planting and cross-cultural missions. Because one day, all things are going to be made right. There comes a time when all things indeed will be restored. And knowing the restoration of all things points us to the good news of the gospel itself. So the question is, what do we do now? Between here and here. Well, one thing we do is we tell all that we can. Recognize, again, charts aren't perfect, right? And, and this is not the only thing I believe. Say, well, I did include this, this, and this. I believe a lot more than this. But I want it to help us understand the gospel both personal and cosmic, right? So while the gospel is not our work, right? The gospel is not what you do. The gospel is what Jesus did. It's Christ's work, Jesus' finished work, then leads to our ongoing work. And so what happens is, ultimately, the completed work of redemption leads to our ongoing mission. So between redemption and restoration, we're on mission. And some of you are working in the city of Chicago to make it more like God would intend it to be in this neighborhood or among this family or among this social challenge. Some of you are working to say, I want to make it more like God would desire it to be. Now, here's the thing. In each of those is kingdom work. We're doing work of the kingdom, making a difference. This church is known for 150 years of working between redemption and restoration, not thinking that we're going to fix the world and then Jesus is going to come back, but thinking that we're going to help one and, or maybe 10 or maybe 100 or maybe a community so that they might see that the, what the world would look like when Jesus will fully come back. And that's part of what our church is supposed to be, right? So people are supposed to look into the windows over there, figuratively, not literally, and they're supposed to say, that's what it looks like when Jesus fixes all things. There's marriages being restored here. Races have been reconciled. Children restored to their parents. Addicts breaking free in the love of Christ. Those who were bringing hurt and pain in communities, now bringing love and care in communities. And they look in and they say, that's what the kingdom of God looks like. And we say, no, no, Jesus has changed us, but there comes a day when it's so much more. But until then, our church is kind of a sign, an instrument of the kingdom of God and the restoration of all things that he one day will make happen. So sisters and brothers, I want us to close with something that's really key. It's the power of the gospel. Number three in our outline is the power of the gospel. We look at the gospel in its personal dimensions. Probably one we've heard more of than maybe its cosmic dimensions. We look at its cosmic dimensions. 
And then we've looked at the power of the gospel itself. See, sisters and brothers, to the world, this makes no sense. I literally just told you and said that people will look in here and see this is what a restored heaven and earth will look like. One day, this is what the kingdom of God should look like. And you're like, Ed, yeah, but we know we got gossips here. We got complainers here. We got grumpy people here. We got liars here. Matter of fact, some of you might not want to be a part of Moody Church because all the bad people that are here. And I'm saying, come on, you'll fit right in. Because I struggle and you struggle. We all struggle because the fall and its impact and its effect are still here upon us. But there's something different because the power of the gospel has changed us. So we are different than the world, though we do not yet walk in the perfection of the kingdom. Now, you might say, the world's just going to think that's silly, and they do. But the Bible said they would. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the word of the cross is folly. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. I want you not to miss this because there's only two types of people in the whole world and they're expressed in this short verse. There are those who are perishing. And let me just say it with love. Don't, I'm not mad, I'm not angry, I'm passionate. Raise my voice because I'm passionate. Brothers and sisters, if you've not been saved, then you're perishing. And if you're perishing, that is the point and the place of no return. See, when God fixes it all, and all the things that were broken and lost and hurtful are gone, but you have rejected his plan for new life, well, then you're separated from him forever. But then there are those who are being saved. Now, those who are being saved were not better than those who are perishing. As a matter of fact, sometimes I've found that the people Jesus saves are some of the people who were worse when they started. Because maybe they encountered the fullness of the evil that sometimes women and men can do. So right here is the choice. You can say, that's silly. This is the choice you have to make today. Is what I am saying to you folly or the truth that changes everything. I think it's a truth that changes everything. And to go back to Romans 1.16, I say it to you today, because I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of it at all. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Now again, not every verse is gonna give the fullness of these things, right? This is specifically talking about the personal dimension. I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Do you believe this is the power of God to salvation for you? It's ultimately the power of God that will restore the whole world, but for some it will be too late. To the Jew first and also to the Greek, Paul goes on to explain. So remember that slide at the end of our message, kind of where we lived between redemption and restoration? The completed work of redemption leads to our ongoing mission. I don't know where you are, that God, man, Christ response. I don't know if you've trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord, but if you haven't, I beg you today to trust him as the good Lord and Savior that he is. Because redemption begins. And as redemption begins, you'll be on this journey with us because of the implications of the gospel, things like its demonstration and its proclamation. 
You'll be on this journey that one day he'll come back and he'll restore all things. But we live between the times. Jesus has come. Many of us have received him. But we still pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, don't we? Because we still want this to come. We still pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Still today, I pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Because you and I right now can bring to mind things that are going on because the world's still broken, though God has saved people. But the story of salvation is the true story of the whole world, personal enough to change you and big enough to eventually change everything. But here we live between the times. And one of the things, with lots of things we do between times, right? We, we, we share the gospel. We minister to the hurting. We, we minister to those who struggle. We, we, we send global missionaries around the world. But something else we do is what Jesus told us to do. He told us to look back at the cross. He used the phrase, this do in remembrance of me. And then he told us to look until his return. He says, until he comes, we'll do this in remembrance of him. So right between these times where we've been personally redeemed, but the world has not yet become the kingdoms of our God and King, we look back to the cross, this do in remembrance of me, until ultimately he returns. Brothers and sisters, the story of salvation we're going to unpack over the next five weeks. I've just touched on the introduction. There's much more to come. But I want you to just rejoice in the fact that the story of salvation is the true story of the whole world. It's personal enough for you to change you, and it's big enough to change everything. Let's pray together, and let's ask the Lord to prepare our hearts to partake in the Lord's Supper. Father, we thank you that today we are reminded of this story, the true story of the whole world. A creation, fall, redemption, and restoration explains where we are, the situations in which we live, the brokenness of the world around us. So Father, as we come into this time of the Lord's Supper, those who have been personally redeemed, who have trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, have received the gift of eternal life, may we partake together with that backward look at the cross and a forward look at his return. But if you're here today and you haven't trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord, folks have their heads bowed and their eyes closed around you, can I just ask you today, I mean, I couldn't be more clear, that personal description of the gospel, man, for many of us, we just like, amen, yes, but maybe for you, it's like, I, I just don't know. If that's where you are right now, maybe you haven't watched it online, if that's where you are right now, I want you just to pray this simple prayer with me, if it's a prayer of your heart. Just say to the Lord, just silently to him, dear Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I want you to be my Savior and my Lord. I receive that eternal life you've given me. Thank you, you have saved and rescued me. In Jesus' name. Father, I pray for those men and women, young people who may have just prayed that with me, that you might give them just one more second of boldness, Lord. I just want to ask with your head bowed and your eyes closed, no one looking around, man, if you, if you just prayed that prayer with me for the first time, would you just put your hand up and say, Pastor, I prayed that prayer. I needed to make that real and make that sure. Just put your hand up and say, I see you. Yep, in the balcony for sure. Praise God. Yeah, in the back. Thank you. Father, I pray for men and women who have said yes to Jesus. You can put your hands down. I pray you give them just one more second of boldness just to share after our service with one of our prayer counselors and staff that they've made this step. 
And Father, for all of us, we thank you that the personal dimension of the gospel has redeemed us. We thank you that the cosmic dimension of the gospel will ultimately redeem all things. And we pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.